The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good to be in God's house this morning. Brian, thank you. Appreciate you being our worship leader in such a busy season for you with all that you have going on with school and all the rest. Good morning to the rest of you. Glad to be here with you. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd like for you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. Going to the book of 1 Peter. You know, today is a special day. We're going to be inviting Eldon and soon to be, hopefully, his family coming from Florida into our membership here at New Covenant Community Church, and that is just way cool. And uh, there will be more about that at the end of our service today. But going to the book of First Peter, chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. Last week we covered the first part of that chapter, and we learned about how our hope that we have in God is according to His abundant mercy, that we can never earn or deserve it, but it's His mercy that has done those things for us, that, uh, that we have hope simply because of who we are in Christ. That's why we have hope. Uh, that our hope is untouched by evil. The evil in our world, the evil that is impacted and because of sin uh, is untouched, is unable to touch the hope that we have, and all those things are kept in God's power. And, uh, and today, we're going to be in verse 13, if you're there. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. If you believe that God's word is holy, inspired and inerrant. I want everyone to say amen. amen. I'd like to talk to you this morning. Rather, I'd like to do something a little bit different. I'd like to preach to myself this morning. And I'd like to preach to myself. I'd like to talk to you about the precious blood of Christ. Undoubtedly, what we have in our lives and our forgiveness who we are in the Lord, is all because of His blood being not just any blood, but precious blood. One of the things that a pastor goes through, as I know many of you are very aware of, is that 
God will burden a pastor's heart for certain things in the church, whether they're absent or there, and, and a pastor will be burdened for certain things. And, and the thing that I have been burdened of in a very sincere way is that our view of the blood of Christ, and I'm not saying us individually as a church or anybody individually in this church, but the church as a whole in America has largely lost the vision of what it means to know that the blood of Jesus was precious blood that was shed on Calvary for you and me. If you were to be, um, say you were an immigrant from another country and you heard about, somebody told you about America and how there were Christians there who were united and, and they had the same vision and, and, and you just, you were in awe about how, how united it sounded like these Christians were and, and, and they were on board with the same vision and they were passionately excited about the same things and, and that just intrigued you so heavily and impacted you so deeply that you decided to travel to America to see this wonderful thing called Christianity. Your plane lands in America on American soil on a Sunday afternoon and you're you walking through the roads, through the streets, and, and you pass by this place called a stadium. And you see all these people, droves of people, thousands of people, hundreds of people, all walking together towards this stadium and they're all wearing the same color. You think to yourself, I wonder if this is it. And you look closely at these shirts that they're wearing, they're all the same color, and some of them even have the same numbers on them. And you're thinking, why do some of them, they're even wearing the same numbers? So being intrigued by this, you walk with them into the stadium, and sure enough, you see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people wearing the same shirt and getting excited. They're, they're eating food, they're laughing, they're fellowshipping together. And you're thinking, I've never seen unity like this before in my life. And, and sure enough, down in the very center of this stadium, there's, there's people, there's men wearing, the same types of the colors and the same numbers as everyone else. And you're thinking, I've never seen anyone revolving around such a united mission as all of these people. And, and sure enough, when the men wearing a particular color shirt go to one side of the field, everyone cheers and screams and claps and high fives the person sitting next to them. And they're just jubilantly happy and their faces are glowing and they're so excited. And you're thinking, this must be Christianity. And you're just, you're, 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 just in all of this and, and you leave the stadium and you're walking to your hotel that you're going to stay at and you're walking on the sidewalk and you pass some homes and you're even more floored when you look inside the living room and you see people that for whatever reason weren't able to make it to this stadium in this huge gathering and you see people hovered around their their tv screens and they're watching the fellowship that was happening over at the stadium and sure enough when the little guys wearing the same colored shirts as everybody else gets to one end of the field they all jump up and they yell at the tv screen and they high five each other and they're spilling popcorn and you're thinking this is the most incredible thing i've never seen such a group of people so united around one thing this this must be christianity and then the following week someone invites you to a building that they call a church and you go into it and uh, it's a bit of a different experience than you're used to seeing of what you originally thought was christianity uh, they may or may not have smiles on their faces they may or may not have unity among themselves and, uh, and you even hear, as you get acquainted with the American culture, you even hear stories through the grapevine of people that used to go to these places, these buildings called churches, and, and you hear of terrible stories of backbiting and gossip, and, and you think to yourself, there is no way that that's Christianity. Church, what I'd like to do is, is not for me to bash anyone here, by any means. 
but what I will say is that if, if we are Christians, it should at least bother us to a very serious way, in a very, in a very deep way, that the world will commonly worship and serve its idols with more passion and zeal than the church will worship Jesus with. And I believe that the piece of the puzzle of the puzzle that's missing is recognizing how precious it is, the blood that has redeemed us. That when the blood was shed for us on Calvary, it was not just blood like out of any one of us. It was the blood of the Son of God. So what I am here to do, again, is not to bash any of us or any churches or even those of you who do really genuinely enjoy football and those types of things or any other sport that involves going to a stadium where there's those things involved. That's not my goal. But what I am here to do this morning is to lead us together, hand in hand, side by side, and reclaiming some precious be bringing the vision back into clarity of what it means to understand that the blood that redeemed you was precious blood. It was powerful. It was important. It was, it becomes in our nature and our human hearts has become so monotonous in the things that we do. And when we come to church every week, it can become very just to lose the vision of what it means to have the blood of Jesus that forgave us as being precious. So that is my goal this morning. If you're in first Peter, look back to verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope. Everyone shout, hope! Hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. What I want to tell you this morning, church, is that we were purchased with precious blood to be set apart. When God saved you, if, if you could just imagine in your mind that if, if we were to all, for whatever reason, die today and we we're standing before the judgment of God, it was not as if you would be standing before God, and I just have this picture in my mind, and, and, and just understand that this is my imagination and not necessarily Scripture, but if we were standing there, it was certainly not as if God were, the Father were to look at you and say, upon what merit of your own should I let you into my heaven? What can wash away your sin? It's not as if Jesus just kind of sheepishly comes out and just slips out a dirty, crumpled up $5 bill and He says, I've paid for him. He, he can go in because of that. It was not that way. It turns out that, that the song had it right. That if you were to be standing in that way before God, and he were to say, what can wash away your sin? The proper and right answer, as the song rightly has it, is nothing but the blood of Jesus. And again, if it were, you were to hear this echo that said, what can make you whole again? It would be nothing but the blood of Jesus. And notice what it is that you're purchased for. This precious blood that has been shed on your behalf. This expensive, this costly price that has been paid for you and me. It was to for us to be set apart. It was not for us to be mediocre in anything we're doing, but to be passionately on fire for the Lord. If you were to say there was a man who had a car that he had for a lot of years, and he had it for so many years, this car became an antique, and, 
and he drove it as a teenager and as a young person. He had this car for years and years and he drove it and, and the paint faded and the tires deflated and the engine was wore out and it was leaking oil and it's been sitting in his garage and he had little things fixed on it from time to time. But he finally decided, you know what? If this car is totally refurbished, it's going to be worth something wonderful. I'm going to have this thing totally refurbished. So he takes it to the mechanic that he decided to have do all this work and he decides that he wants the mechanic to do everything. New paint, new tires, clean, refurbish the entire inside, new motor. He wants this to be as if it rolled off of the showroom floor. And then he proceeds to write a quite handsome check, a very valuable, lots of money that it was going to cost to have this thing totally refurbished. Writes a very large check, hands it to the mechanic, he goes home for two weeks, and then after that he comes back and his car is supposed to be finished. And he's standing outside the garage door, he's very excited to see what the, the work that the mechanic had done on his car. And much to his dismay, he, he sees the car roll out, and he can tell that it's his car, but it still has the same dust that was sitting on the hood. It had never been painted. And it had been cleaned off a little bit. He could still tell it was the car had been cleaned a little bit, but it wasn't refurbished. He was more dismayed when he looked at the tires and he realized it was still the old same tires. They, were, they had been blown up. They were deflated before and now they're full of air, but they're still all nasty and dry rotted. And, and he, can know, he knows that it's his car and it looks a little bit cleaner, a little bit nicer. It, it runs maybe a little bit better than what it was, but it, it doesn't match the precious price that he paid for it to be totally refurbished. So what I'm wondering in my mind right now is how many Christians are there gathered together in churches right now in America who would more resemble the car who, that, that is, it looks a little bit cleaner, it looks a little bit nicer, it runs just a little bit better than it used to before that great, huge, precious price was paid for them, but it doesn't match, it doesn't match what it is, how large, how precious, how valuable the price that had been paid for that thing to be totally refurbished. I don't know about you, but I, I want to be like that totally refurbished car. You are not purchased for something cheap. You are not purchased just to live life however. You are purchased to be holy as He is holy. It was precious blood that bought us, so therefore it's something precious that He's bought us to and to do. I have young people sometimes sit across my desk and they'll wonder how, how in the world could a God so mean create such restrictive rules when it comes to people before they're married. And I'm thinking, it's because it was a precious price that bought you. God is not calling you just to do whatever. He's calling you to something precious and wonderful. Because it was a precious price. It was precious blood that bought us to set us apart, church. If you believe that, say Amen. Church, it was when Christ suffered for you and I, when he took the cat of nine tails, 39 lashings, had his beard ripped from his face and was beaten the way that he was and he died on that hill and he was hanging from that cross and, and he shed that blood for you and me and when, when the time finally came and he breathed his life, I mean, just think of what happened upon the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He looks to the guy next to him and he says, surely you'll be with me in paradise today because you're repentant. You're, you're turning from your sin and, and he, all the things that he did while he was hanging there on the cross and he finally let out with a huge voice, it is finished. That was not a cheap thing. It was not like he wrote a $20 check. That was a precious, beautiful thing. And he's called us to greatness. He's called us to be holy as he is holy because it was a precious thing 
that bought us. It was precious. Look to verse 17. And if you call on the Father, everyone shout the word if. Now look to your neighbor elbow him and say if. If you call on the Father. And why does it say if? It says if because it insinuates that some will call on the Father and some will not. But this is speaking directly to the people that will. To believers who have repented that have called on the Father. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here on earth in fear. Okay, so here's what this means. Husbands, we serve our wives. We love our wives. Or at least we hope, hopefully we do those things. We love them. We serve them. We honor them. And we do those things in fear, knowing that even though we're saved, we are Christians, we are believers, we, we trust in God, we're forgiven, we are His children, what it tells us is that even if we're in that crowd, that, ju- that God is a judge who judges without partiality. It doesn't matter whether you're white, black, tall, short. It doesn't, he, it's no respecter of persons. No matter who you are, God will judge you according to your work, according to how you've loved your wife, served your wife, honored her. You'll be judged on those things. And, and because God judges us on those, on those things, we're supposed to conduct ourselves in, in, throughout our time here on this earth in fear. Wives, same thing to you. You'll be judged if you're a child of God, if you're a daughter of God, which I hope that every young lady, every old lady, every lady in this place today is a child of God, that you will also be judged according to your good works towards your husband, how you served him, how you respected him, how you honored him. All of us as children of God will be judged on our witness. On did, did we take the gospel somewhere? Did we obey the Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus says to go and to preach and to proclaim what it is He's done and all that He has commanded people to do. We'll be judged according to those things. And you say, Pastor Ben, this sounds like very... God's just waiting to squish us if we don't obey those things. And, but hear me out. Hear the motivation for conducting ourselves ourselves during this time on earth in fear here's the motivation look to verse 18 knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot so, here's the motivation. Men, as we love our wives and serve our wives and honor them, the motivation is, is that this our good works towards them and all those around us was purchased with precious blood. It's because of precious blood that we do those things. It's in fear before God because He paid precious blood for you to, to do those good works. Wives, same thing as fathers and mothers of our children. Is when we spend time with them, and it's not just a cheap little thing that we're just taking care of the youngins and moving on with the day. It's a we do that in fear. Our good works of loving our children, nurturing them, praying for them, praying with them. Fathers being the disciple maker in your home, which is your responsibility as the head of the household. We do those things in fear before God because it was a precious thing that He bought for us to be able to do. It was a precious thing. It was His precious blood. That's our motivation for all of our good works. It was because of precious blood. It's because of the precious blood of Christ that we'll witness to our co-workers. If, 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 if Jesus on the cross said, it's kind of finished, then I, I would say, yeah, we're off the hook. We can, we can live cheaply before God. 
Because it was a cheap thing that he did. If Jesus were a sinner like you and I, and he died on our behalf, it, was, it would have been cheaper. It would not have been precious. But can I just tell you this morning that Jesus did not commit any sin. And when he said it was finished, he did not say it was kind of finished. He lived the perfect life, and when he said it was finished, it was totally finished. Excuse me, it was not a $20 check that he wrote. It was an innumerable number of dollars that we could, in this, in our minds of understanding of what he has purchased us with. So here's what I want to tell you this morning. Seeing Christ's blood as precious is vital to following Jesus. Seeing Christ's blood as precious is vital to following Jesus. We have this funny term. I was talking with a deer hunter just before service, and in deer hunting we have this funny little term that if you make a vital shot on, a, on an animal, if you don't make a vital shot on an animal, it, it, you won't harvest the animal. You may just make a small flesh wound, they'll run off in the brush, and they'll recover and, and be fine. But if you make a vital shot on a, on a deer, and it's deer season, so you all be careful when you're driving around Johnstown. If you make a vital shot, it does what it's intended to do, and the animal would, will be dead in just a moment of seconds. You, you can harvest the animal in that way. It's a vital shot. Seeing Christ's blood as precious is vital. It's you absolutely need it. It cannot be done without recognizing that Jesus' blood is precious. It's a precious thing. And I, this is something I think that Peter, who God is using to write this book, I think he probably knew very well. Because you have to ask yourself the question, why does Peter, when you read the book of Acts, and you know all the things Jesus told Peter, he says, you'll be the rock upon which I build the church. And you see all through the book of Acts that Peter is the rock upon which Jesus used to build the church. And, and Peter, it was no cakewalk for him. He was beaten. He was put in prison. He was hated by the political leaders. But he kept coming back. It was like after each round of persecution, Peter keeps coming back. And, and it's difficult, but he keeps coming, and he keeps coming, and he keeps coming. And you have to ask yourself the question, why does he, why did he do that? What kept him coming back, and coming back, and continuing to be faithful, and continuing to be faithful? And I, if I have to imagine in my mind, when you rewind back to the Gospels, which we looked at a few weeks ago, when Peter is in the courtyard, and it's the night before Jesus, it's the night that Jesus was betrayed, and Peter's in the courtyard, and Jesus told Peter, that before the rooster crowed twice, you will deny me three times. You know the story. Peter's in the courtyard. He denies Christ. And the Bible says that their faces meet. Jesus looked at Peter. And I have to imagine that as Peter's looking at his Savior's face, he's seeing the blood that was dried on the side of his face, his swollen lips and his eyes that were now black, and, and, the, and the sweet face of the Savior's looking at Peter. And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. I have to imagine that in that moment he's thinking to himself, that should have been my blood on my face. That was, that was precious blood because it should have been mine. That was precious blood because it just wasn't anybody. That was Jesus' blood. That was a Savior's blood. That was a sinless man's blood. It was precious blood. So church, when we pray or read our Bibles or worship or anything that we do in our Christian life in service to God, we remember that the blood is precious. Prayers become different. Reading our Bibles become different. Worship becomes different when we remember that it was precious blood shed for you and for me when we serve others, when we witness, when we do all these things, it was precious blood. And for the love of all things good and decent, let us, church, let us not let the heathen out 
worship us when they worship their and serve their idols with more passion than us. If this church and the time that the Lord would have me be the pastor of this church, if we were to do nothing else, nothing else but out-worship people that go to the ball game, we would, be, we would make a miraculous difference in this entire globe. And in Johnstown and the surrounding communities, it, we, we would shake this world if we were to come together on Sunday mornings and do nothing else but out-worship the people going to the ball game as they worship and serve their idols. Let us do that, church. In the mid-1800s, if you're a history buff, I'm becoming more of one as, as time progresses. In the mid-1800s, there was the Montana Gold Rush. And gold miners from all over, all over America, they just flocked to Montana to, to pan for gold. And, uh, and, the, and they were pretty successful. They'd be down in, this, in these particular valleys and streams and whatnot, and they'd be out there standing in the water panning for gold. And in this particular valley, there was, they were panning for gold, and there were these little blue rocks everywhere. That they, they'd get in the way. They were panning for gold, and there'd be these little blue, shiny pebbles that they would be getting in the water. All the contraptions they made to pan for gold, they were they were getting in everywhere, and they were just they were, the gold miners were frustrated because they were just they were getting in the way of searching for the tiny little slivers of gold that they could collect in a bag and then and then return it in for money later. And and then these little blue pebbles were everywhere, and they were getting in the way. And there was one particular gold miner by the name of Jake Hoover, and he got this idea. He's like, you know what? He's sitting on the bank, and he's looking at this little blue pebble, and he's thinking to himself, what are these stupid little blue rocks? <laughs> They're kind of shiny. They're kind of pretty. I, I'm just curious. I'm now curious. There's so many of them around here. I'm curious as to what these things are. So he takes an empty cigar box, and he fills it up, and he sends it off to a friend of his in New York who studies gems. And come to find out that these little blue pebbles that all of these gold miners have been throwing off to the side were a precious form of sapphire. And in this particular valley in Montana was one of two places on the entire globe that these particular types of precious sapphires could be found. This particular place in Montana and another place in India were the only places on the face of the globe that these little precious sapphires, and the reason they're precious is because they needed no heat treatment. They were very pure. They could just incredible fortunes that these gold miners, as they're digging their way through, busy doing their own thing, and there's these precious things that they're just throwing off to the side. Church, how many times do people come together to worship? How many times have I personally walked up to a pulpit to preach? How many times have I had good works towards Abby or Daisy or any of you men towards your families or you ladies towards your husbands as fathers and mothers? And how many times have we had what God has called us to, to holiness, to righteousness, to discipleship, to leadership, all the things that God has called us to, and we've thrown it aside as, as if it's a worthless blue pebble. Failing to recognize men that when we lead our families, it's, it's precious that we can do this because God has called us to something precious. He's purchased us with something precious. I don't know about you, but I never want to just throw aside a blue pebble just thinking that it's just another moment. It's not. When we gather together to worship, it's a precious thing. It's, we're, we're thanking God for the precious blood that was spilled on our behalf. And, and it's a precious moment. Let us not throw those moments aside. Fathers, when you're discipling your children, that's a precious thing. Treasure it. God has purchased you for holiness in that role. Wives, as you honor your husbands, God has called you to something precious because He's redeemed you with something precious. Be holy, for I am holy. 
It's precious. Let's never throw aside those blue pebbles. There's something precious in those. Our worship, when we have our quiet time with the Lord, that's a precious thing. Verse 20, if you would turn there, please. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Look to your neighbor and say, for you. Now look back to your other neighbor and say, for you too. Who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Church, it is almost as if, if you say, Pastor Ben, what does that mean? What it means is that it was the plan all along that precious blood would be spilled for you. It was the plan all along that precious blood would be provided for those who trust in God and repent. And, and, I, and don't think I'm reading into Scripture what's not there. This is, again, my imagination. But if it's almost as if, and I don't have any Scripture to say that this actually happened, but in my mind as I imagine how this potentially, perhaps, possibly could have gone, it's almost as if before Genesis 1-1 ever happened, when there was still darkness over just the face of the deep, but kind of like it was earlier when the power went out, I was kind of hoping that it would stay out and it would be kind of cool to preach and it's just totally dark in here. But before any of that ever happened, it's almost as if God the Father looks at Jesus and says, these humans we're going to make in this creation, it's going to be good, and their creation is going to be good, but they're going to be sinners. And it's almost perhaps as if Jesus says something along the lines of, I know, And then the Father says, they're going to sin greatly and they're going to rebel and and they're going to need someone to pay a precious price for them to be redeemed back to us. And perhaps Jesus says, I know. And perhaps God the Father says, it's going to need a blood sacrifice, precious blood, blood as as if a lamb without blemish or spot. It's going to be a precious thing. It's going to be a costly, it's going to be a very precious thing that we have to be paid on their behalf that they can be partakers of when they trust in us. And it's almost as if Jesus says, I'll do it. It was the plan all along, church, that precious blood would be spilled for you and for me. And it's the very reason of our hope. The reason that we have hope of eternity is because of the precious blood of Jesus. If it wasn't precious, we wouldn't have hope. Let that sink down into your sin. If it wasn't for what Jesus did, we would all be recipients of a lie and totally worthless in all that we're doing as Christians. If it wasn't precious blood, if it wasn't sinless blood, the blood of the Son of God, if it wasn't those things particularly Let's just all pack up and go home. There's no point. But it was precious blood. You know, I think back to the Exodus. You remember the book of Exodus and the Israelites and they're in bondage under Egypt and Pharaoh who's in charge of Egypt and and the Egyptians are wrongfully keeping them. They're keeping the Israelite nation as slaves. All the Hebrews as slaves. And and you remember the story of of the plagues that God brought to Pharaoh and and through through God's servant Moses, through the prophet Moses. And, and Moses is, is pleading with Pharaoh, let the people go. And, and Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And Moses keeps coming back to him, let the people go. And it just keeps going back and forth. And, and, and Pharaoh's not going to let up. 
And you remember some of the plagues, the, the pestilence and the frogs and the hail and, and the darkness and all these things that God was continuing to, to show the people that He is the Lord, that the Egyptians need to let the Hebrews go and to, to free these people that were captive. You remember all those things. And if you remember the last plague, it was the death of the firstborn. And God says to Moses, He says, I'm going to do something that will will cause Pharaoh to let your people go. There will be a cry that will come up out of Egypt like has never been before, nor will ever be again out of Egypt. God says, what I'm going to do is, is on this particular night at midnight, I'm going to go through and the firstborn of all humans and of all livestock, the firstborn of everything, will be killed that night. But Moses, here's what you tell the Israelites. Here's what you tell the people. Take, take a, a sheep or a goat, one that's without spot or blemish, and, and you kill it, and you take its blood, and you put it on the doorposts. And when I go through that night, I will not let the destroyer touch that home. You, you'll be safe. You'll, it'll pass over your home and pass over your firstborn. You'll be safe that night. But the other firstborn will be killed on that night. And sure enough, it happened just like God said it would. Moses and Aaron instruct the people of what to do. The Israelites put the blood on the doorposts. That particular night at midnight, just like God said it would happen, the firstborn are killed in Egypt. Of all the humans and all the livestock, the only ones that were spared were the ones that heeded God's instruction. And I have to imagine... If you or I were a Hebrew parent, if you knew what was happening and, and you're, you're laying there that night, it's midnight, it's not too late, you're not asleep, certainly no one was sleeping that night, and you're, you're laying there and it's at midnight and you begin to hear the cry come up out of Egypt. The Bible says that there was not one household, either the household was passed over, had the blood on the doorpost, or Every other household, any household that did not have the blood, there, there was a firstborn at that time in, in Egypt. There was a firstborn in every single household. What would that be like of a nation of four million people and the firstborn of every household? And you're laying there as a parent and you're listening to the cries of the Egyptian parents as all the firstborn are slain. Gut-wrenching. The, the horrific screams and wails and cries that you're hearing from these parents. And, and you look down on the bed next to you and you see your firstborn sleeping safe and sound. Do you feel that? Are you, are, if you're a parent this morning, you feel that. I don't even need to ask what you would do in that situation because I know what you'd do. I know what I would do. You would get up off your bed... And with tears in your eyes, you would lift your hands to God and you would worship on your knees in your home. And in that moment, you would understand with fullness what it was, what it meant for the blood to be precious as your firstborn child is sleeping like a rock on the bed. You feel that? If you're a parent, you feel that. I hope you feel that like I'm feeling that right now. If you feel that, that's what Jesus' blood is for you and for me. It's precious blood. You think that cry in Egypt was something? That'll be nothing compared to the wailing and gnashing of teeth that is echoing out of hell right now because of all the people who didn't have the blood over their doorpost. 
It's nothing compared to that. Brian, if you would come. That cry will be nothing compared to that. The safety church that's in the precious blood of Jesus. That, that, that the wrath of God would pass over us. That we would be redeemed and forgiven. It is precious blood. And I, I do not want to, and I have been guilty of this, and this is why I'm preaching this straight to myself. If none of you showed up this morning, I'd still be saying this from this pulpit to get my own heart to accept this and believe this. That that same feeling that those Hebrew parents would feel, that's the same feeling that every single person who names the name of Christ ought to feel when they think of the cross and they think of the blood and they realize how precious it is and they think of the wailing and the gnashing of teeth that they don't have to be a part of, their household doesn't have to be a part of because God has passed over them with gracious, merciful compassion through the cross when we repent and trust in Jesus. My dear friends, that is precious. If you believe that, say amen. That is a precious thing. And I don't want to treat it like it's an unprecious thing. I don't want to treat the blood like it was not a blood as of a lamb without blemish and spot. I don't want to treat it like it's just blood like of any other person. No, that was the blood of Jesus. That was the blood of the Son of God spilled on our behalf. So when we worship church together, let our reactions be in response to how precious that is. When we pray quietly in our prayer closets at home, let the tears that flow from our face be genuine acts of worship before God knowing what it is that He's done is so precious. Fathers, as we minister to our families and, and wives if you, as you raise the next generation, my goodness, what a responsibility as you bring up these children, remember that it's a precious thing that we've been called to. Let our reaction, let, let who it is that we are Reflect the precious gift that we've been purchased with. Would you stand with me? Let's pray, and then we'll respond. Father, oh Jesus, the precious blood. God, there is no hope. If Your blood wasn't precious, then there was no hope. But God, we have hope of an inheritance that is undefiled and uncorrupted because Your blood was precious, because You purchased us with precious blood. So God, let our, let our reaction be worship to You and praise to You and thanksgiving to You because of how precious it is the price that You've paid for us on Calvary. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Let's sing together.